You know, I've always wondered. I mean, I've always wanted to know, or at least have a conversation. About some questions that I've had. But I've always thought that these were the kind of questions, the kind of topics. That were never really talked about. I mean, especially in the church. These questions always seem taboo. Morning, Next Level Church. Welcome to Taboo Part 2, man. I am excited about this. And as Mike said, we are talking about the S word. Now, next week we're talking about all things Bible. So if you've got Bible questions, text or email those in for next week. But right now, get your cell phones because you can text in live while we're talking about S-E-X. So one more time, if you did not take your children out, I'm telling you, you've got about eight seconds before this whole thing gets nutty like the professor. So here we go, baby. All right, this is Taboo 3, 2, one. Here's how I want to start. Okay, here's how I want to start. I just want to go on record real quick as we begin this whole topic. And we've got, you guys went crazy asking us questions about sex. And so we're going to tackle uh, several of those. And Scott's going to come back out at the end, try and tackle a few more for you. Uh, but we want to we want to hit this subject and, and go a, a few different directions, about five different directions uh, during our time together uh, this morning. But let me just start with this premise because I think we've got to make sure that we get this. Because if we don't get this premise then the rest of this is not going to make much sense. And here's what I want to say. I want to just start by saying this. God created sex. The sex is not the kind of thing that, you know, like animals figured out that they could do. It's not like that. God created, from the beginning of mankind, God created sex to be this incredible, divine, intimate uh, um, uh, connection, union between two souls, between a man and a woman in marriage. God created sex. The animals didn't just figure it out. But here's the problem. Man perverted it. Just like God created a perfect world, uh, back in the, in the book of Genesis, and man messed it up. Well, in the same way, you know, God keeps creating things perfect, and then we somehow, in our humanness, mess them up. Well, sex is a lot the same way, that, that God created this amazing, divine, incredible thing for humankind, and we as humanity have spent the last several ages messing it all up. But here's the great news this morning, and I want to start here. What man messed up, God can redeem. And so let me just go on record right at the beginning before we dig into a few of these questions. That God created sex. And even though we as humankind have a tendency to mess stuff up that God creates good, God is in the redemption business. And as we're going to discover, discover today as we dig through a few of your questions that you've sent in to us during this Taboo series, we're going to find out that God is still redeeming mankind and God is redeeming sex. So without further ado, let's get into this stuff today. Let's, let's dig into this. You ready for this? Okay, here's one of the questions that we got. Here we go. Ready for this? Here's the first question. Number one, my boyfriend and I had great sex when we were dating, but now that we're married, it seems like... I don't know. Help. Okay, let me say this. Let me, let me just start with this premise. Here, here's the deal. When it comes to sex, we have to understand that when God created sex, he created it as a right thing for a right place and a right time. And when we take sex and put it in its right place in its right time, it is ultimately a very good thing, a right thing. But what this question is alluding to here is, 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 is it's driving um, to this idea that whenever you take sex out of its right place, it's like fire. Fire in a fireplace is incredible. You transport all of us up north on a cold, you know, snowy, blistery night. 
put a fire in the fireplace, that fire is a source of life. That fire is a source of heat. It's a source of light. It's an incredible, incredibly powerful thing and great thing, life-changing thing. Having a fire in a fireplace on a cold night can literally save your life. However, you take that same fire out of the fireplace, put it in the center of the living room, wrong place. What do you end up with? The wrong thing. It's, It's not the right place for it. And see, we live in a culture, we live in a world that is taking fire, that is taking this sex issue, and instead of putting it in its rightful place, which the Bible makes very clear is marriage, it is saying, no, you need to take fire out of the fireplace and you need to put it actually every other place but. I mean, imagine going home tonight and turning on the TV and seeing a commercial. And, and in that commercial, they've got like fire and the, and the person, you know, the girl stands up and she's like, fire, now perfect on your first date. Fire goes wonderfully in your back seat. Fire, right? It's like we look at it, we be like, that's ridiculous. And yet that's what our culture has done for the last several decades is they have taken this message of sex, this thing that God created is good and incredible, an amazing connection between a man and a woman in a lifetime committed relationship and in this fire thing that's supposed to belong in the fireplace. And our world has said, put it every place but, and in fact mocks it in the one place where it was designed to go. So to the single person, I think I would say this in reference to this question. Let me zoom forward a little bit. If you're single and you're here today, you need to understand that this sex thing is not an animalistic physical act like the world you're functioning in is telling you. And again, this is not a popular message. This is not something that the world wants us to hear or know or even understand single people. But here's what you've got to understand. You've got to understand that we're not just living in a physical world. That this sex thing, this fire thing, placed in the wrong context can be very, very damaging. See, look, in in relationships, we connect on four different levels. We connect intellectually, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Intellectually, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And when it comes to sex, we've got to understand that sex is, again, contrary to popular belief, popular message in the culture, sex is not just a physical act. Sex is spiritual. It is a spiritual union of souls. So so to the single person, I think I would say this. We've got to to guard ourselves in this whole process. Is that going to be easy? No. Is it going to be worth it? Yes. Because see, if sex is only physical, then to the single person, the advice would probably be, well, then go get you some. But unfortunately, we're not just living in a physical world like we talked about in the piggy bank series a few weeks ago concerning our finances, that that in the natural, intellectual, physical mind, putting God first on our finances doesn't make sense. But when you involve God, when you involve the spiritual into it, suddenly, and so many of us are discovering this now in our finances, when we put God first, He has the power to bless the rest. And see, the same thing is true sexually. So to a single person who's listening today, I think I would say to you, you've got to guard this thing. Why? Because there's more going on than just a physical act. There's something spiritual happening here. Now, let me kind of zoom back to, um, back to the question. Let me, let me go back to the question. My boyfriend and I had great sex when we were dating, but now that we're married, it seems like I don't know help. Let me see if I can do a little Dr. Phil meets Dr. Ruth here, and we'll see where it next level style. See where it ends up. You ready for this? Okay, I think there are a lot of reasons, and this is a common thing. Matter of fact, statistics show in our culture today that, you know, uh, 
people who live together before they're married, that divorce rates are higher for those people. So, I mean, scientifically, they're kind of starting to prove that, that this whole deal, the struggle, this frustration is true. So to this couple, my boyfriend and I, uh, to, to this couple who's now married, I, I think I would say this, uh, uh, several thoughts here. Um, for the guy, uh, here's what we've got to understand, that when we take fire out of the fireplace and we put it in the living room or we put it in the backseat of a car, we put it in a dating relationship, Here's, here's what happens. There's a hunter thing inside of us, men. There's a, a thrill of the chase thing. There's a, there's a I got to go get my prey type of thing, right? Well, when we sort of get our prey and we go too far before marriage, what happens is that starts to work against us. And, and check this out, simultaneously for a female who, who took fire out of the fireplace um, and, and violated what God says is the best case scenario for sex in our life, here's what happens for them. Doubt starts to creep in. Because now all of a sudden, the, the female in this type of relationship is sitting there going, listen, if he was willing to take sex so casually then, what makes me believe that he's not taking sex casually now? So, so what would I say? What, what, do you, what do I think this couple needs to do? Here's what I think. I think that this couple has got a, a couple things. One, you've got to start talking this through. You've got to start engaging this. You can't just let this be the big pink elephant in the room where you're going, oh, I don't want to say anything. Okay, listen, listen, you're way beyond that. You're married now. You're not just eight years old. You're married. So you're going to have to work this through. You're going to have to talk. You're going to have to connect. You're going to have to be able to connect intellectually and emotionally as well as physically and spiritually. Start talking this thing through. Guys, to the guy in this thing, I would say this. Listen, you've got you to gotta re-engage your spouse. You've got to seek after her. You've got to chase after her. Here's, I love how, uh, how the writer of Proverbs says this. Check these verses out. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. He's speaking illustratively, and I love what Solomon says here. Look what he says. He's talking to a guy about loving his wife, like we're talking about. Look, drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. He's like, listen, don't be looking at all of the other water wells out there. Don't be walking through town going, man, she's got good wells. She's got good wells. She's got good wells. No, 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 no. He says, listen, you go home. You put your eyes on your woman. You seek after you. You go dipping water from somebody else's well. It's not going to satisfy. The water God wants to satisfy you with, husbands, is your wife's water. Verse 18, check this out. May your fountain, he calls her a fountain, be blessed. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. He's saying, listen, go home, engage your wife, dig in, pursue her. And to the wife, I would say this, pursue him like crazy. Get all up in his, you be the wife of his youth. You be, you be all that. Why? Because it's not just physical. Here's another thing I would say to this couple. I think, I think because sex is not just physical, it is spiritual. I would say this. I think there needs to be a moment in time, and today is as good as any. For a couple like this who, who took fire out of its rightful place and put it somewhere it didn't belong ultimately in God's plan, in God's order, I would say I think you need to repent before the Lord. I think that because sex isn't just physical, it's spiritual as well. That to this couple, I think you need to spend some time together coming before God and saying, you know what, we put fire in the wrong place. And God, we just want to admit that. And then we want, we want to invite you to put a fire in our fireplace now. Now, here's the great news. You ready for this? Remember, what man can mess up, God can redeem. You ready for this? Sex is not just physical. 
So that means when a couple like this will come and stand before the Lord and say, you know what, we missed it, we put fire where it didn't belong, we maybe even got some burn marks on our carpet somewhere, God, we're asking you to forgive us and rekindle the fire in our fireplace, guess what God does? Because sex is spiritual, God shows up. And he starts to light a fire. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, them coals burn hot. Woo, come on, somebody, you with me? All right, here we go. Question number two, you ready for this? Here we go. Question number two, it's, it's similar to this one, but I want to go at it. Um, okay, here's the second question. My wife and I have fizzled in our sex life. Advice? Again, I'll get all Dr. Phil meets Dr. Ruth. Here we go, ready? Uh, let me say this, a lot of the same stuff. Again, you've got to rejoice with the wife of your youth. You've got to pursue her. You've got to run after her. You've got to keep stretching yourself relationally. I, I would say this, make sure that there aren't other areas in your marriage to this couple that, that make sure that your marriage is running on all cylinders. Because, see, listen, sex is one of those areas where, in a marriage, the iceberg can come out of the water first. And you got all this stuff going on under the surface of the water, and all of a sudden, it's like your sex life gets a little jacked up, and you go, what is going on with our sex life? And it starts to freak you out. Well, here's the thing. A lot of times in couples... There's, there's unresolved issues, there's, there's anger, someone's harboring bitterness or resentment. And so to that couple, I think I would say, listen, you've got to get in there, you've got to chew that up, you've got to make sure that all of those areas of your marriage, uh, that you're dealing with that. A second thing I think I would say this to, to a married couple who's going, man, it feels like the fire is burning low and we're kind of fizzling, whatever. I would say this, again, statistically, statistics would tell us that there's a better than good chance that pornography of some kind has entered into this whole deal. And let me just take a sidebar for a second and talk about pornography because, men, here's the reality. The reality is our culture is killing us in the area of our eyes. There is not a man on the planet who doesn't deal, who doesn't struggle. And see, so men, I would say to us, husbands, I would say to us, single men, I would say to us, we got to fight. We got to fight daily for the purity of our minds. We got to fight daily for the purity of our eyes. Why? Because it will affect our relationships. It will affect our marriages. So, so if you're here and you're dealing with that, let me just say this. You got to get help. See, here's what the devil, the enemy of our soul, wants us to believe about this pornography thing. He wants us to believe that. It's not a big a deal as we think it is. That we could quit whenever we want. And that it doesn't hurt anybody but ourselves. And nothing could be further from the truth. And so men, here's what I would say. Listen, if you're struggling with this issue, and again, statistics would show, let's don't play the game where if you're struggling, stand up. We're not going to do that. A lot of us are struggling. Here's what you need to understand. You are not strong enough in and of yourself, men, to kick this. This is not the kind of thing where we're just like, well, I just need to try harder. Listen, you got to get help. I would say you got you to find a friend. You got to find somebody. You don't need a lot of friends, but you need one or two friends that you're close enough to that you can take to coffee this week and say, you know what? I'm struggling. I need you to help me. I need to get accountable. Because this is the kind of thing, see, what the devil loves to do with pornography, men, is he loves to get us just um, distracted off by ourselves alone. Well, guess what? This, this particular sin lives in darkness. It lives in, in, in isolation. 
And so one of the best things we can do, men, if we're struggling with this, is to pull another guy into that and say, listen, I need you to help me. I need you and I to stay one another. You've got to force that awkward conversation, men. You know why? Because, again, this thing lives, this darkness lives in isolation. But when you bring it into the light, even with just another believer, and you risk that awkwardness, and you risk that openness, vulnerability, accountability, I'm telling you, there is strength, and the Spirit of God begins to enter into that mutual accountability relationship. I'm telling you, it's powerful. So, so you've got to do it. See, here's the thing about pornography. Pornography is, is the wrong thing in in the wrong place at the wrong time and that's always going to end up as a wrong thing it's never going to be right so back to the question uh to the to the married couple that you feel like it's fizzling you got to make sure you're hitting on all cylinders that there's no unresolved junk pornography you got to make sure that that's being men that you're you're dealing with that you're being aggressive on that but then i, I think i would say this again men i'm going to just hammer on us a little bit in terms of your relationship, guys, we got to lead. We got to take charge here. We got to move this thing forward. And that doesn't mean that we demand things. No, listen, marriage is one of the most, most uh, selfless enterprises on the planet. So, men, I think my challenge to us would be in terms of our marriage, if our sex life isn't everything we want it to be, my challenge to us today would be start asking different questions. Instead of asking questions that are me-based, start asking questions that are her-based. How can I serve her better? How can I love her better? How can I fulfill her better? How can I make this? How can I treat her like the princess she deserves to be? How can I love her better, more effectively? That's what I'm talking about. And all the ladies said amen. All right, come on. Ladies, come on. Give me a little sum up here. I'm working for you. I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. working. Okay, all right, question number three. You know the great thing about this is, Time Change Sunday, you're totally, you might be a little tired, but you're not hungry. Because it's like still way too early for that. So that's good. Question number three, you ready? Here we go. Let's keep rolling. All right, here we go. Question number three, and this is such a common, common one in the church world. What's up with the whole obeying your husband thing? The God, man, woman thing. Why that order? Submit? Really? Okay, listen, this one drives me batty, and here's why. Because it's all just, it's all messed up. So if you brought your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians 5. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, I want us to, to go right to the passage of Scripture that this is taken from. And let me just tell you, the world just messes this up. I mean, they just, this whole submission thing, and even the church world, we just interpret these, this passage just way wrong. I mean, just way wrong. So I just want us to go there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse, starting in verse 22. Look at it together. It says this. It's on the screens as well. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. So that word submit right there makes some of us cringe, doesn't it? I mean, there's like a dozen ladies right now that are going, preacher. You better get this right, boy. You better, it's like, right? It's like right now, it's like... Security, run, right? Listen, okay. Because I'm telling you, that submit thing, and we get it all wrong. The church gets it all wrong. First of all, let me say this. This is not a gender issue. Did you notice in verse 22 that it does not say all women are to submit to all men? It does not say that. What does it say? It said, wives, 
Submit yourselves to your own husband. God here is, is giving us a principle, and I want to unpack this a bit, where he's talking about a divine order, a divine flow, so to speak, in terms of one marriage. So this doesn't say all women should submit to all men. That is not what it says. It says wife submit to husband. And here's the thing. Again, that word submit is the only time we really ever hear the word submit in our culture is in a negative way, isn't it? And some of us, you know, some of us have grown up in a religious system. Some of us are even living in a marriage right now where we hear our husband or men say things like this, woman, you better submit. Okay, li- all right, listen, ladies, I'm going to give you a little counter ammunition here in a second if you need that. But I'm just, okay, listen, if you're in that structure, that is not scriptural. I'm just telling you, that is not what this says. Here's why. When you define the word submit, here's what it really means. It literally means this, a willingness to yield. It's like a yield sign in traffic. I have every right to go just like you do, but instead I willingly yield. I willingly stop and I say, you know what, you go ahead. I willingly yield to you. This is a willingness to yield, not heavy-handed dictatorship. This verse is talking about, this idea of submission is talking about unselfishness. And see, it's so easy for us to, to look at this and to point at this thing and go, well, you know, wife, you need to submit. Well, listen, here's what that's saying. It's, it's basically saying we, in terms of a marriage relationship, there needs to be such a spirit of unselfishness that rules, a spirit of yielding that says, no, you know what, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. And actually, and here's the thing that really ticks me off about this, if, since you wanted, since you asked, we always, we love to quote verse 22, wife, submit. Okay, listen. You know what the verse 21 right in front of this says? You know how he starts the whole paragraph? Look how he starts it. Verse 21, look at this. Submit to, what's it say? One another. One another. Yield unselfishly, not heavy-handedly, to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. The whole thing is, is, is he, he starts the whole discussion of submission and all of that with this, with this language. You two need to mutually submit or yield to one another. Prefer the other one. And if you want to know where the most direct charge in this whole thing is, it's verse 25. It's not verse 22, woman, submit. You know what it is? It's actually verse 25. What does it say? It says this, husbands, love your wives. But see, here's the thing. That verse gets glossed over in our culture. You know why? Because we throw around the word love all the time. Our culture doesn't use the word submit all the time. Our culture does use the word love all the time. So I love Taco Bell. I love burritos. I love my new purse that I just bought. I love my new shoes. I love my cat. I love my dog. I love my wife. You mean you love your wife like you love burritos? Watch this. What's the greatest command in this passage right here? The greatest command is not wives submit to your husbands. The greatest command is husbands love your wives. How? To what degree? As Christ loved the church. And then what does it say in verse 25? And gave himself up for her. What's the command in this passage? The greatest command here is husbands be willing to die for your wife. 
So ladies, the next time your husband looks at you and goes, wife, submit, look right back at him and go, husband, die. (laughs) Don't do that. But men, come on. I'm going to challenge us right here, right now. We're talking about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. You want to talk about this? Husbands, it's time for us to step up. It's time for us to quit beating our wife with the Bible and start stepping into it and saying, you know what, baby? I will love you all the way to death. I will lay down every last one of my rights for you. Why? Because you're my precious princess. You're the woman God gave me. You're the wife of my youth. And I'm going to have only eyes for you. And I'm going to rejoice in you, baby. Why? Because you're the one. You start loving like that, you won't have to be all like, woman, submit. Trust me, you don't need that. All right. taboo that all right here we go next question is it wrong to date someone who is not a christian like i am what if they're really really hot (laughs) you know what you found the loophole seriously if if that guy or that girl is really really hot none of the rules apply you're off the hook I love it. I don't mean to be mean right there. I just, (laughs) what if they're really, really hot? No, not just really hot, really, really hot. Well, if they're really, really hot, then forget it. Love that. Okay, now, 2 Corinthians 6, check this out. Here's what Paul says. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. In other words, don't be don't be bound in a heavy kind of burdensome way. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Why? For what righteousness uh, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Paul makes it very very clear here. He he would say to the dating person, don't do it. Don't do it. If you do that, you're being unequally yoked. And so that means that that you are taking the best part of you, which is the Spirit of God living inside of you, and you are attaching it in a bound kind of way to someone who doesn't have that. Remember intellectual, physical, emotional, spiritual? If you date an unbeliever, you take 25% of the connection piece and you take it off the table immediately. You're already 25% down. See, if, to the person who says, yeah, but Matt, what if they start coming to church? And what if, you know, what if I could win them to the Lord? Here's the thing. You'll never know. You'll never know if that person is just into God because they're into you or if they're really into God. You'll never be able to tell if their faith is actually sincere. And if you start mixing sex inside of that, trust me, it just gets all whacked out. See, you can, let me illustrate it this way. If you're an eight spiritually, and you start dating someone who's a zero or a one spiritually, can you pull them up? Oh, sure, probably. I mean, you can spend the next two, three, four, five decades of your life working as hard as you can to pull them up from a one to a one and a half to a two. All the while, they're pulling you down to a seven and a six. And here's what we've found. Eventually, the couple levels off somewhere around two and a half. However, check this out. Flip it over. Single people... What if you could begin to trust God? What if you could cross that line today and say, you know what, I'm just not going to go there. And instead, I'm going to believe God to bring me an eight. And I'm an eight and they're an eight. And together, spiritually, from day one, we can both be eight and then we can push each other and spend the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years of our life together growing to be a nine, to a 10, to a 12, to a 20. Or we could spend the rest of our life trying to get to a two and a half. 
in my mind, I go, man, that just seems simple to me. Why would we compromise? Why would we go there? Why, why would we do that to ourselves? So I guess to the single person, to that person, I would say, listen, it's not worth it. Don't yoke yourself to an unbeliever. Why? Because God has someone in his timing, right place, right time, that he wants you to be an 8, 9, 10, 12, 256. That's what God wants for the single person. Does that make sense? All right, question number five. Let's do this, and then I got to know Scott's got some questions too. Here's, here's the last question that was sent in to us previous. What's the deal with God hating homosexuals? Are we still doing this? Hasn't science proven this already? I have a hard time with the Bible saying that homosexuality is wrong. Let me, let me just tackle this from a couple of different angles. Let me unpack the question a little bit. Because this, this is a big one. This is a hot button in our culture today. Let me start with this. I want to go on record as saying God does not hate homosexuals. He does not. He loves them. God does not hate homosexuals. God, God loves them. He loves all people. He's, God is love, the Bible says. That means that he is the embodiment of love. And God loves and values people way more than we'll ever know. All people, gay or straight, God loves them. See, I believe our role as a church and as Christians is not to judge but to love. And unfortunately, the body of Christ has gotten a really bad rap for our anger and perceived hatred toward the homosexual community. And if you're someone who struggles with this, if you're someone who's a part of the homosexual community, let me just say this. I want to apologize. I want to say that I'm sorry for the way that my brothers and sisters, for the way the body of Christ has not shown you Christ like love it hurts my heart as a pastor and a leader in our community to see the lack of love from the church of Jesus Christ to human beings see life change never comes through judgment life change always comes through love that's why Jesus had to come, because in the Old Testament there was this thing called the law, or this, this judgment, this righteous standard. And the reason Jesus had to come is because the law didn't work. Romans 8 talks about it. Look at this, verse 3. For what the law, this judgmental thing, was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sin nature, God did, how? By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful humanity to be a sin offering. See, law and judgment could never bring people into a right standing with God. It took love and relationship. Matter of fact, a few chapters later in Romans 13.10, it says this, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, if you want to see this law thing played all the way out to its extreme, you know what it is? It's not more judgment. It's not more and more condemnation, more and more judgment. It's love. Love is the fulfillment of that. And what does it say? Love does no harm to its neighbor. See, I think where the church of Jesus Christ has condemned the homosexual community, we have done harm to our neighbor, and that's a tragedy. And for that, to the person who is here from the homosexual community, I want to say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we have failed to show you that kind of Christ-like love that Scripture calls us as Christians to be.
now. That being said, let me, let me talk this through a little bit. Let me, let me go through this one little piece at a time. We said at the beginning of, of our talk here that sex is created by God. And, and it's all about the right thing in the right place at the right time. And it is a right thing. And I believe that the Bible is very, very clear, very, very clear, 100% clear, that God's right thing in terms of sex, God's best, is always one man and one woman inside of a lifetime marriage commitment. Anything outside of that is either a wrong thing, wrong place, or wrong time, thus making it a wrong thing. So does that mean, according to the Bible, that homosexuality is a sin? I believe, according to the Bible, yes. Just like lying is a sin, just like gossip is a sin, just like arrogance or pride is a sin, just like envy is a sin, just like a heterosexual male lusting after a woman who's not his wife is a sin. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 1, the Bible, Paul's writing, he puts, he puts homosexuality in the same list as lying, envy, pride, arrogance. And so is homosexuality a sin? Yes, inasmuch as a, a heterosexual male lusting after a woman who's not his wife is a sin. So is homosexuality something that people are, are born with? Or is it a learned behavior? I think it's both. I think that there are people who are born with, for whatever reason, a greater desire for individuals of the same sex. But I also think that there are some people who, because of trauma in their life or, or past hurts or wounds or whatever, have turned toward homosexuality as, as to find some kind of an escape toward pain. Just like there are some heterosexuals who have, like males, who have this incredible craving and desire for, for, for women, for the opposite sex. And just like there are some males who are pushed into things like pornography or, or, or unhealthy, you know, heterosexual thought patterns that lead them into places that God says that's not what's best for you. See, I think the tracks run parallel in this regard. So, so to, the, to the person who struggles with this, what would I say to them? I, I, think, I think the same thing is true, whether we're talking about homosexual temptation or whether we're talking about heterosexual temptation. I think the tracks run parallel. See, here's, here's why. Because the Bible calls us, all of us, homosexuals, heterosexuals, liars, cheaters, arrogant people, calls all of us to live a life of discipline. What is discipline? Discipline, very simply, is this. Submitting, yielding, lesser desires to higher desires. Now watch how this works. As a heterosexual male, just because I see an attractive woman does not mean that I have a right to fulfill that desire. Why? Because that's a, that's a lustful desire. And lustful desire is a lesser desire than my desire to please God. And in the same way for the homosexual person who struggles with homosexual temptations or tendencies, to that person, it doesn't mean that we have to act on that. It simply means that we have to daily submit that, willingly yield that lesser desire in light of our greater desire, which is I want to please the Lord in every area of my life. 
See, here's what I know. I know that God's best, according to the Bible, is one man and one woman in marriage who are submitting themselves to one another and to Christ as the head of their relationship. And I know that the Bible says that anything outside of that is less than God's best. Be it heterosexual, homosexual, single, pornographic, whatever. Anything less than one man, one woman in marriage who are submitting themselves to one another and to Christ as the head. That is God's best. So those are the five questions. Scotty, I know you've got some other questions. People are texting stuff in. Come on out here. Let's dig into some of this stuff. This ought to be fun. Um, yeah, since you don't know the questions, this is going to be real exciting. Awesome. How are you doing? I'm great. <laughs> Ready to lay down. Take a nap, people. Come on. Um, all right, we've got some interesting ones. Uh, coming off of what you were talking about earlier, um, couples that uh, things just aren't what they used to be. Yeah. Um, the question is, as long as it's between a husband and a wife, are any kind of shared fantasies acceptable? Ah, uh, ha, 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 ha. Why don't you take this one? <laughs> no. Um, okay, repeat the question. I'll, I'll take the question if you want me to take the question. <laughs> no, I got it. I'm good. As long as it's between a husband and wife, are there any kind of shared fantasies acceptable? Are any kind of shared fantasies acceptable? I, I would say this. I think um, in terms of, of marriage, I think that the marriage bed is that place of God's righteous outlet. I think that communication is paramount here. I think that uh, couples need to, to, to talk their way through this. I do not think that pornography has any place inside of a biblical marriage. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think that that is it. I don't think that that primes the pump. I don't, right. I don't believe that that's true. I think that God wants us to rejoice with the wife of our youth. Uh, in terms of, of inside the marriage bed, I think that it comes down to communication I think, and respect. Remember, this is about unselfishness in this whole process. I hope that answered the question a little bit. It works for me. I just want to add to that. If, if one of you have to compromise your own personal integrity, that's probably not something that should be added. Straight up. All right. Um, recognize we're hitting a, a serious topic here, yeah. and it hits real personal. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to combine this question. I want to combine two questions together here. Um, I'll ask them independently, but then there's going to be a single answer, I bet. Um, do you think if someone has sex before marriage, God will punish them later on when they do get married to the point where they can't get pregnant? And then um, we've had some other questions come in of, is there any way that God can restore a, a virginity as, after someone gives their life to Christ? And then let me add one last question to that and trying to pull some things together for the sake of getting as many questions into this thing as, as once. Um, will God give us a second chance if we have blown it, um, regardless of, of what kind of relationship, what kind of mistakes that we were in? Is there any second chance? Can we package those together? Yeah, to the person who, you know, will God punish me? I, I, no, I don't think so. I think when we come back to him, um, he is gracious and merciful and what man can mess up God can redeem and so I, I don't know that it's fair for you to connect the dots like that 
to say, well, since I screwed up, now God's punishing me. Our actions do have consequences, um, but there is grace involved in that. And so you need to be able to be set free today in knowing that if there is a struggle in terms of pregnancy, I don't think that that is God going, well, you messed it up. I don't think that's it. I think that there's maybe something else going on. Maybe there's there's other spiritual lessons or you know whatever. But that 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 should not be perceived as as a judgmental thing from the Lord. That's the second part. The of second that. part is how do people move on? The if God is is not holding that over them, then what does that mean as far as second chances? Absolutely. I I think that we serve a God of second chances, you guys. And so, yeah, if, if you've put the fire in wrong places, if you're struggling, if your thought life isn't everything that you know God would want it to be, can we be forgiven? You bet. Are we condemned? No. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to convict our hearts, to get our attention, to take our life and our actions and to put it in front of the Word of God and say, okay, in light of this truth, what do I need to do from here? And so for some of us today, that does look like repenting. That does look like us saying, God, i got to acknowledge that I screwed this thing up. i got to acknowledge that I missed your best, that I compromised that, that I put the fire where it didn't belong. But then it's us being able to say, in light of that, you know what, I'm not condemned. I can walk out of here in hope. I can walk out of here in peace. I can walk out of here in freedom. And so... You can be forgiven. There is hope, and it's never too late, and God is in the redeeming business. Well, then this is what I would ask of you, Matt, even right now in this moment, knowing that um, there are people in this room right now that we've come from so many different backgrounds. So many of us in this room live life with so many regrets. We wish we could go back and decide differently about past relationships, um, past choices that we, we knew we were pulling the fire out of the fireplace. Yeah. Can you pray over us that grace prayer of this is a new day, and God, if you've got the ability to make all things new, then let it start here today. Can you pray this over us? Yeah, absolutely. You guys, let, let's let's pray. Let's just bow our heads right where we are. Because there's a lot of us in here today who are listening. We need a touch from God. So God, we, we come to you right now, Lord. We pause at the end of our time together and Lord, we thank you that you've given us the ability to be a part of this session today. You give us the ability to examine our life in light of what you say, your truth, the truth in your word, and in light of your love. And Father, today I pray, God, for so many people who right now, God, who are struggling, who are, who are hurting, who have been burned by the fire. Father, I pray for single people today that your strength and courage to make wise choices in light and run that run cross grain to culture i pray you would strengthen single people today god i pray for marriages who who aren't everything that they desire for their marriage to be and i pray that right now god supernaturally you would begin to just show up lord that today would be a day where the fire in the fireplace begins to rekindle again that lines of communication would be open again that forgiveness would freely flow that that mutual submission would flow god that a yielding that an unselfishness god in a new way god through your grace would begin to infuse those marriages Father, for men who are here today who are struggling with pornography, God, we just acknowledge that before you. And right now in our heart, we just say, Lord, forgive us, God. Forgive us where we have struggled, Lord. And I pray, Jesus, that you would give these men courage to have the awkward conversation with someone else, with an accountability friend or or, or partner, God. I pray you give us the courage to risk that awkwardness that we might know what it is to be set free and have our thoughts 
fully surrendered to you, Jesus. Father, for those of us who are here who struggle with lust and temptation, Lord, for the homosexual tendencies that some of us struggle with, Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us the strength to live a life of discipline, God, to surrender those daily at the foot of the cross. Lord, for those of us who struggle in a heterosexual way, Lord, we pray the same prayer. Father, we want our life to be surrendered to the greater desires of our heart, our greater desire of pleasing you, Lord Jesus, of honoring our marriages, Lord Jesus, of not giving in to lesser desires in our life and letting those control us. God, I thank you that today you're the God of second chances and that, Lord, even right now, Lord, you're restoring hope. You're restoring, Lord, for the person who's been abused sexually. Jesus, thank you, God, that we can know what it is to be healed. We can know what it is to have our heart cleansed. God, for for the person who's here, who that fire has never been a good thing. It's always been a burning thing. I pray for healing today, Jesus. God, we just thank you that you are the God of second chances. Lord, thank you that sex is not just physical, that it is spiritual. And that Jesus, you care about it. Lord, may we go from this place filled with hope, filled with encouragement, filled with life, Jesus, as we seek to honor you in this place of our life. And everybody across this room said, Amen. Matt, thanks for hitting a tough topic. I appreciate you. you did an awesome job today.